Goedemiddag allemaal. Goeiemiddag. Welkom. Ik hoop jullie allemaal zit gemakkelijk. Ik <laughs> uh, ga oorlaat aan mezelf dat zij al zelf niet eerst aan jullie allemaal bekend stellen. En dan zal ik vanaf iets over mezelf zeggen. En dan zal ons gezels, Michelle. Um, hi, I'm Michelle. Um, I wrote the book I'm the girl who was raped. I currently live in Cape Town. And I would like to welcome you all to our discussion today. Hmm. Mijn naam is Therese Benadi. Um, ik is een televisieaanbieder op het televisieprogramma Koela en een inhoudsvervaardiger bij hulle. Ik ga bieg. Het is de heel eerste keer ooit dat ik zoiets so zie doen, waar ik een live gesprek doe voor een uur lang. So ons gaan of voor tien minuten gesels, want dat is van ek gewoond is, of ons gaan so involved raak dat ons voor drie uur gesels. Um, Michelle has requested that we do the interview in English, so I'm going to be my, do my best to stick to that. Is everybody okay verstaan? Allemaal Engels? Everybody's comfortable with English? Okay, and I'd like for this very much, if anybody at any point wants us to slow down or go back or revisit anything, please feel free. Michelle has also requested that we not open the floor afterwards for questions, but she welcomes anybody who would like to come and have a um, private discussion or conversation with her about anything afterwards. You're welcome to do so. Definitely. Okay, so, Michelle, I get your book, um, The Girl Who Was Raped. Dit is toevallig vandaag het ek gehoor, Internationale Vrouwendag, ja. um, International Women's Week, so I think it's incredibly apt that we're doing this conversation today. Welcome to the gentlemen in the audience. It's wonderful to see men who are here to support this kind of topic. Ek sonder jylle nou vrees uit, but welcome. Um, first of all, a little bit about yourself, Michelle. You originate from PE. Yes, I mm. grew up in Port Elizabeth. Um, I did my undergraduate at Stellenbosch in politics, philosophy, and economics. And I went to UCT to do my honors in psychology there. And now I live in Cape Town. Okay, cool. great. So I'm going to start with um, the first couple of pages in your book. There's a poem that you wrote down here, um, which is called, How Do You Protect Yourself From Rape? Now, rape is something that we all hear about. Uh, a lot of people actually experience or know somebody who's been through. It's something we don't often mm -hmm. discuss. We don't speak about it. I take my hat off to the fact that you were willing to discuss it so incredibly openly. Thank you. And to share your experience, I think it must take a lot. Um, I think it must be difficult to have mm -hmm. this kind of conversation when it comes to something so incredibly personal. So I mm -hmm. thank you for being willing to do that with us oh, today. Definitely. It's necessary. Okay. So this poem is by Susan Hawthorne. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I think it's a, when I read this, I immediately realized because you think you're open-minded and you think you know what this kind of topic entails, but you immediately challenged from the first page mm. when you open this book and you kind of go, hang on. Um, the way I think about myself and other women is also mm. not right. We've all been kind of pre-programmed to think about ourselves and society and men in a certain way. So this poem starts, it says, she asks him, how do you protect yourself from rape? He's silent for a long time and he says, I avoid going to prison. She says, I don't talk to strangers, I don't go out alone at night, or if I do, I have my keys at the ready, I have my running shoes on, I look as if I know where I'm going even when I don't. And it carries on and on and on, and these are all the things that we do. You lock yourself in your house, you do this, you do that, you're always aware. Have I been successful? No. Once I drank too much, once I accepted a lift, once I talked with someone I knew. And among my friends, one was married to a rapist. One found out the man beside her was raping her daughters. One was touched all over by the man next door when she was five. One was followed on the street, and one found pornography on her lover's computer. 
And this made me stop and just made me think, wow, this is something that mm-hmm. is really prevalent. This is not something that happens with someone outside this is something that's all around us. So let's chat about that today. Um, I'd like to start uh, to chat about your thesis. Rape is yes. something that was a very important subject to you, um, mm-hmm. even before it personally affected your life. Tell us about that. Um, I think when you grow up in South Africa, you're made aware of rape from a very young age. Um, I can't remember like the first time someone told me about rape, but ever since primary school, you, I lived with this fear. And like the poem says, you lock your doors, you're like wary of where you go and what you do. These rules of exactly how to behave are ingrained into your life. And um, I remember when I was at Sarenbosch, the police would actually come to us and say, you know, girls, don't do this, don't do that, to avoid getting raped. So your whole life is kind of spent trying to avoid getting raped. Um, and then when I was getting pre- preparing to do my honest thesis, I was just really tired of it being a woman's problem and women having to take all the responsibility. So I wanted to investigate how men talk about it and what men think and how they interact with something. Most women don't have a choice whether they can interact with it or not. So that's why I spoke to male students at UCT to find out how they make sense and the language they use to talk about rape. Okay, and the the title of of it was Any Man Can Rape, Male Students Talk About Rape. Um, Mm. So that's an interesting title to start with. Yes, that was actually, it was a quote from what one of my students said. So it's a very provocative title, but it's actually one of the male students he kind of sat there and then suddenly he had this realization and he said, any man can rape. So this was in 2011? 2011, okay, yes. Now going back and thinking before all of this happened to you, what was your thinking then when you um, concluded mm-hmm. your studies and all your interviews? What was your attitude towards rape and what did you think of it? Uh, even then I was very angry. Um, while conducting my interviews, and I talk a bit about this in the book as well, Um, My interview specifically said that it's only for men and it's targeted at male students. But, and when undergraduate students participate in these interviews, they get points for their courses. But, and some female students came and they asked and they were desperate for me to interview them, even though they knew they wouldn't get points. And all of these women had stories to tell me and were wondering why I was so interested in this topic. And these girls were just so desperate for someone to listen to them and someone to take them seriously. And it made me really angry. Okay. Do you know the statistics of rape in South Africa? Uh, To be honest, I do know some of the statistics, but the statistics are so skewed because rape is so underreported. So we have these stats like one in three, one in nine, but they're not accurate because most rapes go underreported. Okay. So... On the evening that you, you um, delivered your thesis yes. on the morning, yes. and you guys all got together to celebrate that you'd completed your honours, am I correct? Yes, and you went happened. to a party. Um, what happened that night? That night we were um, in Musenberg. It was a house that was very close to the beach, so it was about 20 metres from the beach. Everyone was walking between the beach and the house. Um, it was just, it was honestly a celebration. Um, we were tired. Psychology honours is a very emotional year. Um, you not only write a thesis, but you have to engage with your emotions a lot. So we were just really happy for to have survived. And then one of my friends came up to me and she said, 
while I was delivering my thesis, something had triggered an experience in her, and she really wanted to talk to me privately. So we went down to the beach and we sat there, and then two men came up to us and they mugged us and raped us, two strangers. Okay, but before you guys went down to the beach, you were a whole group that had been on the beach. Oh, uh, yeah, everyone was sitting on the beach. I mean, the house, when you're sitting on the beach, you can see the lights from the house, it's just across the road. We were all sitting there um, looking at the waves. So it wasn't a strange notion to go and down. And you there. were also, you just went back upstairs and she wanted to have a chat, and you were like, okay, mm. let's go back down and have a. Initially, you didn't think that these guys, I mean, I can't imagine that moment when somebody approaches you, you just kind of wanted to get rid of them because you wanted her to chat to you. Yes, unfortunately, we've all experienced, you know, annoying men in the streets <laughs> or talking to you. And I was honestly just really concerned about my friend. I didn't, like, this happens all the time. So I just wanted them to leave. I wasn't thinking that they were going to do anything. And they, they initiated a conversation and mm. went away. And yes. when they turned back, you knew yes. something was going to happen. Yes. Okay. We won't go into details. <laughs> Michelle speaks about, about it very openly in the book, and it's quite harrowing mm. to read. Um, the thing that also stuck with me after that, you guys um, were left on the beach, and, and your mm. friends eventually did find you. Yes. And it took how long for the police to arrive? To be honest... Um a lot of that night is skewed in terms of hours and whatever, but I am told it took them about an hour. Okay. Uh, and you guys, your friends were at the verge of taking you to the police station themselves, and then two, two policemen arrive. And this mm. is um, something that then comes up, is a point that you really want us to talk about, is victim blaming. And I think we, we encounter this so often when it comes mm. to rape, when it comes to abuses, that people say... Either you blame yourself or other people blame you. But mm -hmm. if you didn't act in that way, if you didn't wear that, mm -hmm. if you didn't do that. Um, I'm going to let you speak about that now. But uh, you, mm -hmm. there's a line in your book where you say the police in the hospital robbed us of our basic human dignity that night. The first mm -hmm. thing when the two policemen came and arrived at the flat, um, mm -hmm. they weren't very interested. And you say they seemed skeptical. What do I not look like? I was raped enough. Um, you then go to the police station and then uh, they very kindly give you a female police officer to yes. to take your statement. And about her, you also say, for all the emotional support she gave me, I could have been better off with a wood wooden plank. Um, already at the police station, how did that make you feel? Because, I mean, I, you've been through an incredible mm. trauma and you would expect that they would treat you well and embrace you. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's because they see so many rape survivors, but there was definitely a distance. They wouldn't engage with us. They wouldn't look us in the eye. They wouldn't talk to us. They were very curt. For example, they, we asked to wash our hands because obviously our hands were dirty from what happened. We weren't allowed to wash our hands, but we weren't given a reason. You know, later I found out it's obviously for the DNA and forensic testing, but, um, the emotional interaction, it was not there at all. Um, the woman who took my statement didn't look me in the eyes. She corrected the way I spoke. Um, there was just no personal interaction or engagement, which after you've experienced something so harrowing and the first points of order where you go to, when you're treated like that, you immediately start taking the blame onto yourself and say and think, oh, I am this dirty and defiled now. They won't even look at me. Oh, I, it was my fault because they won't talk to me. 
And about blaming yourself, um, the nurse who, who did your, your rape kit, is that the yes. correct terminology, at the hospital, um, she was also having a very uh, kind of relaxed conversation with the police mm -hmm. officer who, who took you over there. What yes. happened? Um, so when you get to the hospital, they put you in a room and the nurse and the detective, they were talking, but they both had their backs to me. And the nurse was, um, what do you have here for us? And he said, oh, another two rape survivors. You know, they were partying. They were on the beach drinking. Da, 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 da. And then she said, why would they do that? They know what the world is like. And immediately I felt everything crashing in and I realized that yes, this is my fault. I broke those rules. I broke the rules that they tell you your whole life you must follow. And I broke the rule without even thinking, without even realizing I was breaking a rule and that's why I was raped. And what is wrong with that thinking? That thinking the way, because it regulates the woman's behavior and it says that the perpetrator has no involvement. So when we concentrate that much on the woman's behaviors and what they do and how they do it, we forget that there's a human being who chooses to rape. We don't hold perpetrators responsible for their actions and their choices. We regulate women. Um, there's a saying now, don't tell me not to get raped, tell your sons not to rape. And that's kind of the fundamental thing that's wrong here. And isn't that true? We all grow up as women. You get told, don't wear something. What's that horrible, horrible saying that I actually absolutely hate? Yeah. I mean, that's what some people told me afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah. Have you had to deal with a lot of insensitivity? Definitely. And I think it's just, it's our discourse. It's the way we make sense of rape. But she did something wrong. Not he made the decision. There's something wrong with the men who do this. There's something wrong with the woman for not acting according to the rules. And it's something that you deal with all the time. Okay. Writing about what you went through, um, was that cathartic for you? Why did you decide to put such a personal thing mm -hmm. in a book? Um, well, for me, I've been writing since I was 11. Um, it's really at the core of who I am, and it was the only way for me to make sense of what was happening. I wrote the, th the first three chapters in two days in a coffee shop in Cape Town, and it hasn't changed since. It was literally as it was happening, I was writing it down. Um, just to make sense of it. And I had so much um, academic knowledge as well because of my thesis and my lived experience of it and the academic knowledge, it was so different. And I think um, I was only about halfway when I realized that this could be a book and I should be writing this. And I also had a couple of years after writing it that I could sit on it and just decide whether this was something that I actually wanted to do and wanted to share. But um, for me, the only way to be powerful again and to take back my power was to share my story. Is it not incredibly painful to go through all of that? I mean, surely every time you do a talk, as you're doing today, every mm. time you do something like this, is it like reliving what happened? It is to an extent. I mean, the whole morning my heart was like palpitating. <laughs> um, I don't think it's something that necessarily gets easier, but I do think it doesn't become less necessary either. Um, this is something, a choice that I made, and I'm fully dedicated to this choice. And I think it's, like I said, I think it's necessary. And whenever I've had a lot of girls come up to me and talk about their experiences and tell me, this, I'm, you're the first person I've told 
you know, it was my brother, it was my father, it was someone in my community, and then it was a gang, you know, and it's not just one experience, it's multiple experiences. And every time I get these messages or I hear these women, I know I made the right choice. Okay, and when somebody does come up to you, I mean, that must be such a big responsibility. Mm. Um, what can they do? Do you refer them some, to somewhere or someone? Mm. I think for the most part I've realized people just want to be heard and listened to. We don't talk about rape. We don't acknowledge it unless it's to tell women how to avoid it. And a lot of the time people, uh, women just want affirmation of, I hear your story, it is real, you weren't wrong, you didn't do anything wrong. You don't have to be ashamed. There is a life after rape. You know, and a lot of time, of course, I have all the details of people to refer them to, whatever, but a lot of the times what people need is just a hug and affirmation of their story. Something that um, one never thinks about, if you hear of somebody going through a crime or such a traumatic experience, you think about them in that moment and the couple mm. of days afterwards, and then you kind of assume people carry on with their lives. Yes, definitely. Um, you speak about the PTSD that you experience, yes. post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. disorder yes. <laughs> what were some of the things that you went through? Because, I mean, the things that I would never have imagined mm. would affect one after something like this. It's, uh, the problem with PTSD as well is it's such an individual experience, the way everyone experiences it in a different way. For me, I didn't have flashbacks. I only had about one nightmare. To me, my body was in hyper alert. I was in a constant state of fight or flight. So someone would walk past me, but too closely, and my whole body would go into a panic attack. It was, I was never relaxed. I could never get out of this kind of rush of adrenaline. I think for me, that was the most difficult part, is just to trust your surroundings again. How do you look at people now when you're on the streets? Now, I mean, I've had five years, so now I'm, you know, way more trusting. You know, it, you don't get over it, but it does become a part of your life that you integrate and so into who you are. So, you know, I'm wary. I think I'm still way more wary than the average person, but I'm also not going to let it stop me from living my life. Okay, to what extent would you say that this changed your personality? Has it in any way? Oh, Definitely. Um, I talk a lot in the book about how that's why my title is also I'm the girl who was raped, how that became my definition. And that's not only how other people saw me, that's how I saw myself. And a lot of people thought it was a bad thing that it defined me. And I said, no, it's not because I choose to get how it defines me. Um, now I've kind of, I've gotten a bit more distance from it, but that'll always be a part of me. I'll always be the girl who was raped and that's okay. All right, and when you look at um, the way you looked at rape when you did your thesis mm -hmm. and the way you look at it now, did you ever look back and think, gosh, I was so naive, I didn't have a clue of what I was doing, or mm. how, the anger now, mm. how is that? You know what, I think, like, you always know <laughs> if, if you're... Um, if you're like me, you grew up with this feeling of what rape is. Like you always know, you're never kind of ignorant about it. But I do feel like I just know so much more and the spectrum of emotions and what people go through is so much more. My empathy is so much more because knowing something and experiencing something is two completely different things. If I'm allowed to ask this, um, the 
the man who did this mm-hmm. to you, um, what ever happened with the case? Nothing. <laughs> um, the police actually, my story, they did an interview in U Magazine and then they contacted the police after my book was published to get comments and they said they'll, they, if any new developments, if there are any new developments, they'll get in touch with us. Then they phoned me just to kind of placate me and say they are still looking for the guy. But then I kind of just also thought, what about the woman who didn't write books? Why aren't you phoning them and taking them and reassuring them that their cases are important? So if I didn't write this book, no one would have ever followed up with me. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that he hasn't been found? Is there a bit of relief that you don't have to face him again? To be honest, um, I've kind of uh, put that section of my life away for now because you can't live your life in what ifs and I can't have him controlling my life by waiting for him to be caught. I am angry. He must be arrested. He must be brought to justice. But I'm not going to spend my life being hung up on it. Um, it's just insane. I can't believe that there's so little interest on their side. So you talk about the role and the responsibility and the reactions of the community mm-hmm. um, with regards to rape. What do you mean by that? Um, when someone dies in a community, you know, you have a memorial service or you have a church service, you bury them, you send flowers, you share food. Everyone, there's kind of like this narrative process everyone kind of knows the steps to follow to mourn someone um but when someone's raped we we don't know what to do or what to say you know we don't there's no kind of normal way for people to go about comforting um the survivor except to say you know you should have known better and so people end up not talking about it because it's so shameful and they don't know how to treat it. And that kind of just heaps more shame onto the survivor because no one will acknowledge this thing that's just come to like define every part of you. Uh, how did people treat you? Most people just try to treat me the same, but they wouldn't talk about it. And I found that horrible. I, I know um, this is the difficult thing as well, is every survivor's experience is different and their journey is their own. So some pro- might want you to not talk to talk about it, but that's why I also think asking questions is so important, saying, I acknowledge what happened to you, how would you like me to behave now? Because I just felt like everyone was ignoring what I'd been through, and that was very damaging psychologically. So you went through initially not wanting to speak about it, and then mm. you say there was a point where you actually wanted to just stand on the street and shout at anybody and to anybody who would listen that this yes. had happened to you. I mean, your experience and what you want from people also changes a lot. So, I mean, I think my friends had whiplash sometimes (laughs) trying to keep up with me. But the thing is, they were always there and they always wanted to talk and they were willing to listen. They played such a big role, it seems, in Mm. your book, um, like you have a wonderful group of friends who carried you through this. How how Mm. would you suggest women um, Mm. interact with one another if you've seen or heard of somebody in your inner circle go through this? Mm. That's actually a question I get a lot and I've kind of said this already. It's just, it's to respect the individual process. Everyone who goes through this has a different reaction and a different journey. Listen, ask, and just be aware that it might change day to day, week to week, month to month. And 
maybe she doesn't want to talk about it now, but in six months she has the need to talk about it. It doesn't go away. Um, just be respectful of their journey. And another thing that people always want to do is they say they want to force the survivor to report it or to go to the police. But everything that they do should be their own personal choice. Okay. Um, something that also stuck with me is you speak about the loss of power, which mm. one doesn't really think about um, not just the physical act of mm. sex when you are being raped. Um, talk to me about that. Um, while I was doing my thesis, Lloyd Vogelman um, did this amazing study a long time ago. It was 1991 where he talks about um, the sexual face of violence and he actually interviewed a lot of perpetrators in prison and they he wanted to find out what motivates men or perpetrators to rape. And what he found was for most of the perpetrators, it was about power, it wasn't about sex. It wasn't I was turned on, it was I was in control. And she couldn't do anything you know, I had complete and utter power over her. And that's what they were after, most of them, obviously, there are exceptions. And that's also how I experienced it. I didn't experience it as sexual intercourse. I experienced it as a complete violation of my power um, and my physical agency and emotional agency. Okay, to lose that. Um, now, something that... that I also want to chat about is that we, we kind of think of rape as disafriendling, um, you speak of stranger rape. Mm. There's also something else called acquaintance rape, which yes. I'm very sorry to say you also mm. experienced prior to this. Yes. So what is acquaintance rape? We have, we think about rape, like you said, as a stranger coming, raping you, the way I describe in the first part of my book. Acquaintance rape is when you know someone and they rape you. It can either be on a date, it can be a family member, it can be anyone in your community who you know and trust. And this is the kind of rape in South Africa that is much more prevalent. Um, this is what people deal, deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And also, this is why rape is so underimportant because they don't want to send their you know, uncle to prison. They can't because it's a family member. They can't because they live in a community where if they report the person you know, they'll be hound, hounded as well. Um, when I was a student, actually, at Stellenbosch, um, uh, a friend who I had previously kissed, he also raped me. Um, and the thing about it is I was drunk. I gave consent to be spend time with him, but I never gave him consent to do what he did to my body. And that's also why a lot of women who go through something like that, they still think it's their fault because they allow themselves to enter that space, but they never consented to what happened in their body. And that's what's important to remember with acquaintance rape. And also, sorry, just to add is these aren't monsters. We often think rapists are monsters, but these are people we know and love who do these things. So how how do we change that? I mean, how do you you speak about teaching boys from a young mm -hmm. age not to rape? Or you know, especially if you think of something like girls who go out mm -hmm. and a lot of us here who have daughters or sisters or no mm -hmm. young ladies, we're in a in a student town. What do you tell them to do? How do you tell them to avoid this? Or is it all in the in the um, hands of the men? Should we still tell the girls to be careful? I mean. 
obviously we all have to take a measure of responsibility to look after our, our, ourselves and our own well-being. Um, I think we're talking about in an ideal world, you know, and we the reason we talk about it and we insist on it, it's because it's not an option for us to want to tell men not to rape. That's the way it has to be. And you have to fight that. And this is taught, women are taught this from such a young age, they don't always realize that this isn't a choice. This is something we have to tell people. This is the message we have to carry across. It's almost like when you go out on a date or you go out the front door and you're still living at home and your parents say, don't do this, don't do that. Should we start telling boys, you know, don't force yourself on a girl when she <laughs> says no, listen to her. Maybe we should. I, I think you, we should. I mean, rape culture is this big thing um, and we're not breaking it down. I mean, we can't take on the whole of rape culture. We can only fight those little battles and those little battles start by, you know, making people uncomfortable by talking about it. You know, it starts by not laughing at rape jokes. It starts by not apologizing just for being a woman and being in an area. Um, and it's all those little small steps we take that will eventually lead to something bigger. And it's also, excuse me, but about not excusing men for always just having a high sex drive. It's not it's all not, it's about and it's not an excuse <laughs> that for is treating such women a bad. Out. No. Um, if you're a man, you're in charge of your own sex drive. doesn't matter what I wear or what I do. I won't do that. Okay. Um, a, a very big part of your healing, uh, which I found so beautiful, was um, horses. Yes. <laughs> you have a history with horses. You used to uh, do horse riding yes. as a young girl. Tell me how, how that impacted on you when you were going through the mm -hmm. whole process afterwards. You know what? I did just find it easier to be around animals because they just love and accept you for who you are and there's no complications and there's no concerned eyes, you know, like following you around the room. Um I just felt like I could just be myself, whoever that was, now with them. Um, I think I worked with some horses, um, uh, I think it was about eight months after I was raped. And it was so beautiful because each of them taught me something else that I needed to know about myself. And if you just watch and work with animals carefully, they have so much wisdom to share with you and they can help you heal in so many amazing ways. Okay. And your mom was also very instrumental in your healing. Yes, she was she wonderful. Was. She stood by you and she was very patient with you as well. <laughs> yes, she was. I know there's a moment in the book where I was literally in tears and my mom's here today <laughs> because it made me think of her and Master Sikavona look a good where you also had a really mm -hmm. bad night, something scared you. Yes. And you found your mom and what happened? Um it's kind of like I mean it was two, three AM and it's kind of like she knew I was gonna call and she was just waiting for me to call even though it was just a random night and she answered the phone and she was like, I'm here, what happened? And I was just like, I had a nightmare and it had been my first nightmare and my only one, luckily. And I was scared and I couldn't go to sleep and she told me to go to one of my friend's rooms and sleep with him, but I couldn't move, I couldn't get up. So she just stayed with me on the phone and she kind of just whispered to me until I fell asleep and it must have been about an hour or so that she was just saying, I'm here you are safe. It's going to be okay. Okay. Where are you now emotionally, Michelle? Because you talk about, mm -hmm. about being um, identified or mm -hmm. being known now as I'm the girl who was raped. I mean, it's the mm -hmm. title of your book. Where are you? I'm, uh, for the first time since it happened, I think I'm in a place of power 
doing this for me personally was a very empowering experience. It's the first time I've been able to take back control. This was my choice. It's my decision. This is how I deal with it. Um, you know, we have this narrative of healing where something bad happens, you deal with it, and then you move on. And that's not how healing works. Healing is circular. So it's been five years, but I still have bad days, and that's to be expected. But I think I'm in a good place. Okay. And I'm very, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I am, I'm very glad that you have found somebody and you are oh, in love. Thank you. And Michelle has a boyfriend, <laughs> yes. which is the best, best thing. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been together th for three years. Um, he's been with me through the editing, the publishing, the everything of that process, um, the bad days and the good. Okay. And how does he deal with everything that you've been through? I don't know, he's really great. I don't know where I found him. Um, he's just the most gentle soul. So whatever I need to go through, he lets me go through it. And it's I kind of have someone who has my back, no matter what, and no matter what I choose to do, which is a wonderful gift. Okay. Um, there's a, a last statement in the book that I would like to read, that I would like to... How long pratos now? Oh, it's been half an hour. It's a little bit early. There's well. um, a statement that you wrote in the end that says, the fact that I'm not the only woman to have been raped is what makes my story worth telling. If I was the only woman who was raped, I would be extraordinary, but I'm not. I'm ordinary. I'm one of the many women who have been raped. My story is ordinary because too many women share my story. My story is worth telling because too many women identify with it. Too many women have first-hand experience of what I'm talking about. Yet it's the women who live with the shame. It's the women who are ostracized and blamed. Consider them. Um, and I think that's the big message that mm -hmm. you have for us all. Is that Definitely. it's, you know, think about the women and why are we making women feel ashamed of going mm -hmm. through this horrible crime? I mean, you feel, you really do feel like you're less worthy. I mean, I felt like I wasn't worthy of a boyfriend because who would want me after I've been so defiled and I'm so dirty, you know? And why must I feel like that when my perpetrator just walks free, not feeling anything? And it was his choice to do what he did to me. So I really, if anyone can take anything away from my story, it's that. And also that I've been so privileged with regards to my social and economic circumstances. But most women who are raped in South Africa, they don't look like me. They don't have the financial support that I had or the friendship groups or mother that I had. And these are the women we should be concerning ourselves with. Okay. Is there any um, last thought that you'd like to give ladies or any tips that you'd like to pass on? Um, to be honest, I think I've said everything that I, I wanted to say. Yes. Okay. Right, Michelle, okay. thank you very much for speaking with us. Bye-bye, Danke Amal. I'm not going to open the floor if anybody would like to have a conversation with Michelle. She's um, here. I'll be around. All right, and all the best, Michelle. Thank You're you very so brave, and thank you for speaking about something that is so incredibly important, important and I know it's really changed thank the you. way that I think about this. And thank you for joining my, me for the discussion. Okay. Bye, thank Danke you. Amal.